The U.S. Air Force's Project Blue Book investigated nearly 13,000 UFO cases between 1952 and 1969. 95% of them were explained away as natural phenomena, conventional aircraft, secret projects, psychopathology, or hoaxes. But what about that last 5%? The Blue Book team found them perplexing enough to file them away as unknown. But there was a deeper, more mysterious class within these unknowns that comprised just 1% of them, those involving humanoids, known as encounters of the third kind. This episode tells the tale of one of those 1%. This story also, perplexingly, has to do with dinosaurs in a NASA parking lot. wallpaper of our reality, there exists another world that science has yet to explain. In here dwell monsters and madness, and potentially the answers to our most important questions. In this world, gravity intensifies, time slows down, and your heart rate quickens. I'm Jake Rokotansky. And I'm Brad Abrahams. And you're listening to The Spectral Voyager. Saucer. While the main events of today's story took place in 1964, for me, it all began in December of 2019. It was a Friday night, and as is my proclivity, I was half watching the 1980 series Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World. It was the UFO episode, and sandwiched between the story of Kenneth Arnold's infamous saucer sighting and some lights in the New Zealand sky, a segment appeared that jolted me to full attention. It was about a UFO investigative team just outside Austin, Texas, where I had just moved some months before. Men in matching jumpsuits, wearing bizarre goggles, operated a menagerie of high-tech looking equipment, at least high-tech for 1980. It started like this. Trying to trap a UFO is now big business. In the scrubland of Texas, Ray Stanford heads Project Starlight International with a million dollars worth of equipment. The laser is to signal to spaceships his goggles in case they answer back. The aim is to use the highest technology to establish beyond doubt that craft from other times or worlds are visiting the Earth. <laughs> All right, Jake, so what, what's your first impression of that? First impression? First impression? The tech is awesome. He's wearing some kind of primitive form of virtual reality goggles, and he's, you know, got like a big remote control, and he's, you know, manipulating this giant laser cannon, you know, around <laughs> quickly and smoothly. It's got the right whirs and clicks. I mean, they're wearing <laughs> white jumpsuits. I mean, this looks like, you know, you know what I thought of? It, it reminds me of like an indie, like an indie science fiction movie, like, like Primer or something like yeah, that. There's yeah, there's totally. there's something like kind of desolate and cold about it. Mm. Very cool. It went on to show just how serious and ambitious this organization was. Centerpiece of Project Starlight's armory is a computer to monitor UFO activities in the area. This is an Operation Argus alert. Please proceed as you have been instructed. The computer automatically calls up spotters to scan the sky. And it really hits the panic button if a landing is indicated. 
With techniques like these, Stanford hopes to add to the evidence he's already amassed. <laughs> so yeah, they seem to be tracking UFOs with satellite data and then automatically calling affiliates in those areas to watch the skies while Ray Stanford or other staff jump in their pickup trucks uh, and are dispatched. The clip ended with a message from the org's founder, Ray, wearing a PSI-branded white jumpsuit, wool beanie, and glasses. We have motion picture films, magnetometer recordings, sound recordings, and uh, a whole variety of data that begin to make us think that UFOs are technological, that they're really not something natural after all, but, but something not only technological, but highly sophisticated and capable of speeds and accelerations far beyond anything that we've ever dreamed of. In fact, we've really been surprised at how fast these things can move that we've, we've tracked. And frankly, I would say that they, they simply don't originate on the Earth, at least any place on the Earth that I know of. So, yeah, I found this so cool when I first saw it, because Ray and, and Project Starlight were basically the Jacques Cousteau for UFOs, down to like all the matching uniforms, the custom-built equipment, the swag. I was just going to say, these are the two swaggiest <laughs> UFO researchers that I've ever seen. And I, I have to, when, so when did this come out? Uh, that clip is from like 1979. 1979. He's Ray Stanford, but he has... <laughs> He really does have the the sort of quality and personality of Ray Stance there from the Ghostbusters. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if uh, Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis were privy to to huh. these videos and potentially named named their character after him. Interesting, because he is he's he's got the passion, he's got the swag though. Oh, the matching uniforms, the beanie. Oh, this is so cool. Yeah, I just I actually I was thinking as I was watching this last clip, I went, I wish I didn't have to be a part of this episode. I wish I could just sit back and, and watch it. I just want to watch this like a movie now. Yeah, so they had remote-controlled VHS cameras, magnetometers, gravitometers, lasers, things called phototheodolites, and it all totaled around like 200K plus today. And it was thanks to wealthy Texas oil guys who like donated all the money and equipment. And there's some of their, on the next page, the cover from their journal and one of their PhDs with a microphone. This looks like straight out of Ghostbusters. Oh yeah, I mean, this is so <laughs> Ghostbusters. It's, <laughs> the branding is good. You know, they have cool, um, their logo is cool. The colorways is awesome. Yeah. It's like they understand the cinematic sensibility of what they're doing, you know, that mm -hmm. they're fans of science fiction, whether, you know, reading it or or watching it in movies and basically said, which this is what I would do as well. I am totally <laughs> in this camp. It's like if I'm do if I'm doing something that is close to the movie, you know, the movie or the book that I like, I want to look like what they did in the movie or the book. Like there's no need to dress down for this. So I could have left it at that. But the documentarian in me craved to know more. Was Ray still alive and still living in Austin? What was he up to? Info was scarce, but I found a Texas Monthly article from 1976, which featured a reporter that visited PSI. He described Ray better than I could. A small, tight, lithe man. The kind of person who doesn't burn off energy so much as recycle it, so that he gives the impression of being a compact, self-contained <laughs> organism. A charged <laughs> maverick particle. When he asked Ray why the white suits, Ray's answer was, We wear the white suits for two reasons. One. Safety white will reflect the heat from infrared radiation, a possible component of a possible UFO laser. And two, general above-boardness. If they're intelligent, I'm not going to try and play games. We're not going to wear black and hide in the bushes. 
This isn't a game. It's a dangerous undertaking. That's one reason we wear name tags out there. Should we be killed, people will at least be able to identify us. <laughs> Such a Ray answer. Oh, my God. During their night watches, he was known to look up into the sky and exclaim, Land over here. We have no weapons. So Ray was a character. Further digging revealed that he was very much alive and in his mid-80s. He had a life-spanning decades of work with UFO investigations, parapsychology, and even paleontology. It wasn't much longer before I found his email and asked if he'd be interested in being filmed, perhaps for a short documentary portrait. It did not go well. <laughs> Ray, had, <laughs> Ray had Googled me, and my documentary Love and Saucers came up. This is an excerpt from his first reply. Thanks for your interest, Brad. But that utterly disgusting, at least to me, love and saucers, brings to the watcher listener the kind of, in my not inexperienced opinion, fantasies, delusions, and or lies useful to the anti-UFO community in trying to make even those in scientifically serious anomalous aerial object studies look laughable. In short, I do not care to become associated, even if only indirectly, with delusional or hoax discourse alleging intergalactic or even just intragalactic intercourse. And there was a, a winky face in there that he... Oh, <laughs> dude. Dude, oh my God. This guy is so fucking cool. He owned you, but he did it gently and yeah. sternly. Oh. Yeah. Oh, my. Oh, Maron. <laughs> you have been listening to a sample from The Spectral Voyager, a new miniseries from the folks at QAA where we explore true tales from the edge of reality. To listen to the full episode and gain access to our other miniseries, such as Man Clan and Trickle Down, you can subscribe for just five bucks a month at patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous. Until next time, farewell from Beyond the Veil. He wasn't there again today. I wish, I wish he'd go away.